0: Today I'm going to talk about something that I see a great need and I see a great, how can I say, deficit. We live in a time of broken homes. We live in a time of desperateness, desperation. We live in a time where when a young person is graduating from high school, whether it be high school, whether it be college, they're looking out in a world that's troubled. It's not like it was 50 years ago. I think that we live in a time where the ISIS forces are out there. We've got race riots. We've got things that are just... uh, It's a troubling time. If you're a young person, you could say, Wow, grandpa and grandma, mom and dad, you really left us a mess. $18 trillion, really? really? Did you really need to be that irresponsible? And, and you know, we can... And you say, well, it's the politicians. Well, did, did you vote for them? Or did you not vote? All it has, all necessary for evil to prevail, the triumph is for good men to do nothing. That's what Mr. Burke said. Edwin Lewis Burke said that. Very famous quote. But we see young people. It's a time where... I believe that there needs to be greater sensitivity to God and walking closer to God than ever before. I'm not sure what all this racket is, guys, but let's try to get rid of it as soon as we can. And when you begin to understand that these young people, they're the next generation. Now it's gone. It's good. They're the next generation, and we need to pray for them. Can I get an amen? We need to be believing with them. But I, I, my sermon today is, except the Lord build the house, they that labor do so in vain. That's Psalms 127, verse 1, first half of that verse. And let me say it again. Except the Lord build the house, they that labor do so in vain. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. We're going to believe for uh, just a special word to our graduates this morning. But it's a word that all of us can take. And apply to our lives. Father, we thank you that your word is multidimensional. It can speak to a young person graduating from high school, a young person graduating from college, a couple that's been married for 10 years or 50 years. Father, we know that your word can address every situation. And Father, we ask today that you give clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit, that we might speak as your oracle. Father, give us all ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to do as we may live out as one of your disciples. And Father, we pray today that you would give us just that transforming power of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. But let me refer back Psalms 127. He says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. You know, young people are graduating from high school. They're graduating from uh, college and and different things and and I want to say congratulations to you all and all these different levels and uh they're leaving you're leaving your parents house and their means where where you lived under their roof and uh you may be moving into your own dorm room your own apartment maybe even your own house but the fact is you're leaving the house of your parents and you're going to have to decide how you're going to build your house Because, see, your house isn't going to be just about you. It's going to be about you. It's going to be about your spouse. It's going to be about your children. It's going to be about your community. It's going to be about your church. It's going to be about a lot of things. And when you go to build your house, God can either instruct you and guide you, or you can ignore those things and bring devastation upon yourself. I'm going to turn to Proverbs, the ninth chapter this morning. And I want to read another verse of Scripture. That a house is built by wisdom. And when you understand that wisdom is the primary thing, then that should maybe cause you to want to listen a little closer this morning to wisdom. It says in chapter 9, verse 1 of Proverbs, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. There are some pillars that will uphold And I'd like to have gone to all seven, but I can't get more than about five, uh, you know, points in in one Sunday. But there's many things that we can see in the scriptures that helps us to understand how we need to build our house. There's a lot of young people today building their house the wrong way. There's a lot of older people that have built their house the wrong way. And because of it, we've got many broken homes and many broken things. and, And many have had broken homes, and it isn't their fault. and 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 many and I don't want anybody to be in condemnation if you've been through a divorce or if you're in a broken home or a broken situation I preach these messages not to bring condemnation but to bring hope that you can restore your home that you can restore your house that if your parents house wasn't right you can build your house the right way and you can have a happy house you can have a healthy house you can have a whole house your home can be right you know, the Bible says, he who troubles his house will inherit the wind. If you build your house the wrong way, you'll run off your children. You'll alienate, you'll harm, you'll, you'll do destruction to your own house. And he that troubles his own house will inherit the wind, the Bible says. In other words, the wind is a lot of nothingness. When it's all said and done and all the work and all the rearing of your children, and if you do it the wrong way, when it's all said and done, you're going to have nothing. And you might have even destruction and heartache and sorrow and many bad things. It's very important that we understand, except the Lord builds the house. You could say, except we build the house with God's principles, with God's laws, with God's truths, with God's scriptures, except he build it according to his blueprint, his way of building it, we will labor in vain and inherit the wind. We've got to understand how important it is, just as if you were to build a house in the natural and have a blueprint, if that engineer does not know what he's doing, he can destroy the house and it can collapse on you and kill you. If that contractor does not understand how to build that house, it can fall down and it can kill you. I can remember one time I saw when they were building the principal tower in Des Moines. I think that building is 60-some stories tall. It's a massive structure by anybody's standards. It's probably, I think it's the largest building between Chicago and L.A., and uh, it's very, very beautiful. And I remember, as in many cases, when you have a construction site, they pull in a, a, a little double-wide trailer, and they park it there. And, and there's no foundation. They throw down a few blocks, and they set that little trailer up on the blocks. And they're in business, and that's where the engineers go in and look at the big blueprints, and that's where they go in and have their coffee or they have their meetings. And it's just kind of a little house that needs to be built in order to build the big house, and I remember how quickly that that house went up. It was just, boom, they brought it in a day. I lived in Des Moines at the time when that was being built. And I'd drive by the side almost every day. And so I noticed that it just took, boom, that wasn't there the day before, and all of a sudden it's there. But before they could build the big, massive structure of the tower, they dug down, and 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 they dug down. And they poured cement, and they poured more cement, and they poured cement, and they poured more cement. And the foundation was immense. And the depth was immense because in order to build a great house, you have to go down first before you can go up. And you're going to have to humble yourself and say, I'll do it God's way and not my own way. There's going to have to be a going down deep, deep, deep down into your consciousness, into your spiritual life. There's going to have to be a a lot of foundation, a lot of foundation, and a lot built into it, and a lot of strength. And a lot of hours put into it before you can build anything great. But the little trailer, it doesn't take anything to build. But, you know, if a good wind came along, it would have blown that thing away. But if you're going to build anything substantial, and I'm talking about a house, I'm talking about your kids and your kids' kids and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. We looked at the Edwards family and the Jukes family. One family had hundreds, who, and, and, and most of them went to prison, and most of them were vagrants and derelicts and, and all kinds of terrible things came out of this family lineage. Hundreds uh, that were, went just the wrong way and ruined their lives. Then it compared with the, uh, the other family. And college presidents, doctors, even some... Uh, one was a vice president of the United States. And, and, and when you compared those two families of the Edwards and the Jukes, you can see one built a foundation for their house. And it went from generation to generation. And the other did not build a foundation for the house. Well, I don't know what that is, guys. But we sure are getting a lot of noises up here. And uh, so I want to share with you five principles today of how to build your house college graduates listen carefully you know what if this doesn't work just get me the other completely get me the other mic and what does that mean when more is you know it's more than building a physical structure when you build your house as a sanctuary where you and god meet spiritually okay what are we looking at here is that needing to be structure. It's your family and the relationships. It's the finances and monetary. It's also physically building the house. But the first principle of the five principles I want to talk to you about today is building on a work ethic. Let's go to Genesis, the second chapter, verse 13, one through three, I'm sorry. Genesis 2, verses one through three. We're going to see that God built the first house, the house that he put Adam and Eve in, And he modeled and demonstrated the first thing that he did was work. Today, there is a culture of not wanting to work. Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work. Everybody say his work. God's a worker which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all his work everybody say his work which he had made and god blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that it is that still making a lot of racket everybody goes on it tells about how he had made a home for Adam and Eve you know I believe this that that work that he did he built a house and every house needs a number one you need to understand that it needs to be built on work and the work is a six to one ratio he worked six days and rested one you know today that they're trying to bring the work week down to four days did you know that, that this this first model, this first lesson, which is fundamental, work is fundamental, yet many don't want to do it today. In the Roman Empire, before the fall of the Roman Empire, they had 168 holidays a year. Can you imagine that? 168 holidays a year. Before the Roman Empire fell, a very high, something like 70% of the people were on entitlements and were receiving their resources from the government instead of working for it themselves. And then we saw the fall of the Roman Empire where they fell from within and completely collapsed under the weight of entitlements. I'll tell you what, it's important that we learn to work. We're, we're living today in a culture of laziness, leisure, and pleasure. How I many you know, God is not pleased with that. And it's gotten into the church, and people think, Many times the church is just a place where you come and you hear some nice words and you amuse yourself with it And then you go back and forget about it till the next week But god commands us to go into all the world and preach the gospel God commands us to be workers in his vineyard And I want to say to you graduates this morning If there's nothing else that you learn from this sermon, you need to learn number one You will go nowhere in life if you don't work It's important that you have a culture of work that you have a mindset to work Because I'll tell you what You will distinguish yourself from the pack If you learn how to work today And you will stand out and you will shine And you will be the unusual gem That that employer wants to get a hold of And you will distinguish yourself As a person of integrity Because the, the choice to work Is a moral issue And it's a choice that you need to make In order to build your house Proverbs twenty four twenty seven and I and I like this that we need to build uh, our house on production first. This is an interesting concept that I've seen with people that are very successful. Proverbs twenty four twenty seven. Quickly turn to the book of Proverbs, and we're gonna look at this this proverb. This is a powerful portion of scripture. I think is very applicable to young people today. And a lot of young people want to go out and they want to have the house a house as nice as their parents. They want to drive a car as nice as their parents. They want to go from A to Z in the first couple years after they get out of college. How many of you know that's unrealistic and it's also unhealthy. Proverbs 24:27 says this, it says, "Prepare thy work without everybody say, thy work, and make it fit for thyself in the field, and afterwards build thine house." Make your work your priority, not your buying a nice house. Because, see, one is an engine for increase, and one is a source of consumption for decrease. How many of you know a house will cost you a lot of money? How many of you know a house eats up money? Money. But your work, you know, here it uses a farm. Go out and into the field or into the farm. Your farm, your field, it's the engine. It's the production side. It's the place where you go and make the money. And it says make that the priority. Take care of it first. And make it your focus to make the money, to produce the crop, to start your own business, and invest yourself, your time, and your money in that. And then when you got enough money, then concern yourself with building your house. See, but today we've got just an opposite. We've got people who aren't making money, and our government several years back was giving money to all kinds of people who had no wealth production that was equal to the cost of the house. They were giving out free, cheap money. And they were young people building big and fancy and beautiful houses. And they didn't have the financial engine to sustain that thing that they were trying to buy. But the Bible teaches, go out and tend to your making of money, your business, whatever that engine is to produce money in your life. Take care of it first long before you think about building a house. Because if you'll build it on work ethic, if you'll go work first, then you'll appreciate what it costs to build that house. Can I get an amen? See, we've lost a sense of values today. Because one day money's worth a lot, the next day it's not. And, and, and one day the house is worth, and, and we've got a wild roller coaster ride. So we need to stabilize ourselves and find out what does the word of God say about it? And get ourselves in adjustment with that. And I think that when we do that, you know, it's, it becomes very important. And teaching your kids, build your house, work yourself. Live as a model of working six days and resting on the Sabbath. Live your life as a model uh, to your children. No house can be sustained without, sustained without work. Teach your kids to work. You know, when our kids were little, we, we made them uh, go out. And we have work days at the Tweed House. They help us plant plants. They've always helped us mow the yard, rake the yard, take care and, and clean up their rooms most of the time. Now, we know that doesn't always happen. It probably does at your house, but once in a while our house, it doesn't always work out. So we teach the kids, we have work days, uh, we do projects together, and we have a law at our house that the television never goes on during the day. In the Tweed house, the television doesn't come on during the day. Now, on the weekends, you know, if it's Sunday afternoon, we relax and we might watch some football or something. But let me tell you something, there are things that will steal your kids' future. If you let your kids watch television during the day and waste their time away, you're letting their future be stolen from them. Let me tell you something, you need to establish a work ethic. It is your responsibility. The Father God worked and instilled it into Adam and Eve and then told them to go work. And he had modeled six days of work and one day of rest. Your house will be built on work. It will not be built on leisure. It will not be built on pleasure. It will not be built on uh, going and and trying to get around work, but it will be built when you face on face confront the reality that God commands us to work in this life. Whether it be at your own job or whether it be in the kingdom of God in his vineyard of church and serving him and leading others to Christ and coming and doing your part, serving the body of Christ, God has built our existence on this thing and work and a lot of people think oh when we go to heaven we're all going to relax and it's all going to be wonderful all... no it is the bible teaches that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and there will be vineyards and there'll be things to do and that we'll still be working throughout eternity how many of you know the bible do- actually does teach that that we go to heaven but there one day will be a new heaven and a new earth it says in revelation chapter 21 number two we need to build on god's house first before our own house When you go back to Moses, they built the tabernacle before they came to the promised land and built their goodly houses. Did you know that in Exodus chapter 35 through 40, there's a great, there's there's an entire... I mean, long, there's five chapters in the book of Exodus where Moses said that God has commanded me to take up an offering for everyone who is of a willing heart, everyone who has a wise heart, bring in the gold and bring in all the purple and bring in all these different things of silver and and precious stones and metals. And and then there were men that were anointed to build and to manufacture and and to uh, just make that tabernacle into a... And it spent six chapters while they came out of Egypt... And, of course, the wicked Egyptians who were trying to hold them for, and for 425 years, they eventually made them into slaves, and they worked slave labor for the Egyptians. And God's people were there under that slave labor, building them treasure cities. And then the Bible says when they came out of the Exodus, that God commanded them to take all the gold, and all the Egyptians were just trying to get, make them leave. Because after the nine plagues, and by the time they got the tenth plague, and their firstborn all died, they said, Get out of here. We don't want you here. We know our king doesn't want to let you go, but we'll pay you to go. Take our gold. Take our silver. We used you for slaves to build it all anyway. It really belongs to you. Go ahead and take all this gold and silver and go out and and do your thing. And finally, the Pharaoh let him go, and they left. And then Pharaoh changed his mind, he chased him, and then he got destroyed at the Red Sea. And the children of Israel were the wealthiest nation on earth. They took all the gold and the silver out of Egypt when they left. And God says, use it to build me a tabernacle. Read it. Exodus 35 through chapter 40. And then he says, And then when you get through this wilderness, I'm going to take you into a promised land where you will live in houses you did not build, and you will inherit vineyards you did not plant, and you will live in a land of milk and honey, and you will be blessed coming in and blessed going out, and you will be the head and not the tail. You will be blessed only. How many of you thought they were getting a pretty good deal? Yes. But he said, build my tabernacle first. And then go into the promised land and inherit beautiful houses. It also talks about in building goodly houses. I don't know what a goodly house is, but it's better than a badly house. <laughs> but I'm assuming it's in the right neighborhood something I don't know but when I hear good I think it's probably good if God said so and then we can go over to Solomon the wealthiest man in the world if Solomon was alive today that and I just heard a financial expert say this last night he would be a trillionaire King Solomon would be a trillionaire if he was alive today and when God asked him, he says, ask of me what you want. He says, I'm not going to ask for my enemy's neck. I'm not going to ask to be made rich, but I'm going to be asked, you, Lord, to make me wise to properly govern your people. And God was so amazed by that request. He says, Mr. Solomon, because you asked to be wise instead of your enemy's neck and instead of making you wealthy, you asked to be wise so you could serve the people. He says, because of that, I'm going to make you wealthy beyond imagination. And I'm going to make you undefeatable in every way from your enemies. And I'm also going to make you wise enough to steward it all. And did you know, and you can, and you can follow along, and you can go there, and you can look in 1 Kings. Solomon was instructed to build the Lord's house first. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. And then his house second, 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. And you can see the same principle that God worked through Moses to build the tabernacle first and then go in and build your houses. He told Solomon to build the house of God first and then go build his own house so that he wouldn't be distracted. you know if you try to build your house before God's, you'll get too distracted with it and you won't end up building God's? And it says that. It says so that you won't be distracted in building the house of the Lord. Build it first and then build your own house afterwards. And God will reward you for building his house first. And what you make happen for God's house, he will make happen for your house. Because the Bible says whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We have to build God's house first. Now there was some wise guys who thought they were smarter than God who tried to do it differently. But see, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4:15 that the house of God is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And see, he said of Abraham because you will guide your house properly and put me first, I will be able to bring to pass everything that I've promised you. Do you know that God can't bring to pass all the things that he's promised? us in the Bible, because some people won't guide their house the right way. They'll guide their house to the things of secular things before the things of God. They'll put secular things before spiritual things. They'll put things of their house before the things of God's house. But because Abraham would guide his house, read it sometime, Exodus eighteen nineteen. he says, because you will rule your house and command your house in the way that they should go, therefore I can bring to pass all that I have promised you. Did you know that you and I in this room have been promised a lot of things in this Bible right here? And I want God to be able to bring to pass everything that he's promised me concerning healing, prosperity, my children being saved, and and all kinds of other promises. I want him to be able to bring that to pass in my life because I have ordered my household the right way. Listen to me, graduates. If you don't order your household the right way, God will not be able to bring the promises to pass that are in his word, that are in your hearts, that's maybe been spoken over you. But when you guide your house the right way, just like Abraham, as it says in Genesis, he will be able to bring to pass all, everybody say it with me, all that he has promised. Because he ruled and guided his house the right way. God is a God of family and God is a God of building our houses. Except the Lord build the house, they that labor do so in vain. And when we put God's house first, it begins to work. Now let me show you a group... Uh, or a time when Israel didn't want to put God's house first. Turn with me to Haggai and we're going to look at some consequences when you don't put God's house first. We'll just go to Haggai chapter 1 verse 2 this. Speak of the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> Excuse me saying this people say the time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell, that dwell in your sealed houses, and thine house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe, but you, there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. How many of you ever felt like the more you put away, the more it suddenly disappears? The car breaks down. Uh, The roof needs to be replaced. And all of a sudden, this bill and that bill, and somebody's got to go to the doctor. And and if you're building your house first, the Bible says God's going to make sure there's holes in that bag you're trying to save money in. He said, don't build your house first, build my house first. Wow. And he says, thus saith the Lord, consider your ways. Go to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. And I'll take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. He says, you looked for much and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it did blow, I did blow upon it. Why saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste. And you run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew and the earth is stayed from her fruit and I called for a drought and he goes on and he talks about all these things that whenever God's people put their house first God will dry up the prosperity God will dry up the blessings young graduates you say well I'm I'm not building my house yet but if you're out from under the house of your parents you're beginning to build your own house I'm, saying that, I'm not saying that you're buying a new structure. I'm saying your household is your spiritual parameters that you live in. Your household is your finances versus your parents. Your household is the friends and the company you keep and the church that you go to and the life that you choose and the life that you'll reap from what you sow is going to be your house. You need to understand, young people, you need to put God's house before your house. I'll tell you, there's a lot of Christians who don't do that today. And everything comes first and there's time left over, we'll go to church. If there's all kinds of bills paid and everything's taken care of and there's some money left over, we'll give it to the church. Let me tell you something, that is exactly the opposite of what this is teaching. That is exactly contrary to God's plan. And it will rob you and it will rob your house because except the Lord build the house, that labor will do so in vain. These people were in vain. They let God's house sit, and they built their own. And in some, in some translations it says they're beautiful, expensive houses. In America, we're building our own house, and we're letting God's house go. A very, very small percentage of people actually tithe today. And because of it, we're seeing America crumble eight to the tune of $18 trillion worth of debt and lower household income. And I could go through a, a mountain of facts that we are losing our financial place in America. So we need to build with God's house first. What principle is that in the New Testament, Pastor Bill? I, I know that in the Old Testament, these things happen. In Matthew six thirty three it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. All the things that the Gentiles do seek, not even spiritual things, natural things. It says, seek for, everybody say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And he was talking about Solomon and his greatness and what he wore and what he had and what he possessed. He was talking about natural things as well as spiritual things. And when we seek God's kingdom first, the Bible says all the things that we desire in the natural will be added to us. The Letourneau family started out. Mr. Letourneau decided, well, I'm going to start tithing 10%. And the more he gave a tithe and gave that first uh, of his income to the church. It wasn't long he was tithing 20%. And then he was tithing 30, and then 40, then 50, then 60, then 70, then 80, and then 90%. He was a multi-multi-millionaire. And he said the more he gave to God, the more God gave to him. He he ended up giving away 469 million dollars in his life. He started out as a poor man who had nothing and built his own construction company, Laterno uh, the Like, they have large uh, construction equipment, and they build highways. They were a huge construction company, a huge uh, wealthy family with huge equipment and huge giving. They were Assembly of God people, and they gave enormous amounts of wealth. But he started out with 10%, and he always made sure that he gave it first to God. You know, there's just something about you taking care of God's house first. You know, in the Tweet house... Uh, workday uh, at church is first before, before workday at the Tweed house. And we make sure that the tithe is first, then our own house payment. We make sure the year-end offering comes first, and then the Christmas presents. Let me tell you something. When you get the right order, everything begins to work. How many of you know you better not put the bullet in backwards in the gun? Let me tell you something, if you start trying to put yourself first over God, you just put the bullet backwards in the gun and it's going to come back at you. Because you are backwards and you've got it confused and you are wrong in your priorities if you put your house over God's house. Because God's house is a lot more important than your house. Somebody say amen. And your house is mighty important and you need to have build your house in a wonderful, godly way. So number three, we're going to go on. We're going to look at some other things. So number one, we need to build our house, young people, on a work ethic. Everything comes as a result of work. Number two, you need to build on putting God's house first and your house second. Can I get an amen? Solomon did it. Moses did it. We're called to do it. And Haggai, they tried not to do it that way, and they got severely rebuked, and uh, they lost ground tremendously. I'm going to go to number three, Psalms 103. It says how, how... Let's just go to Psalms 103, and then also we're going to turn to Matthew 12:25. Psalms 103, how uh, lovely it is, good and lovely for brethren to dwell together. We all know that psalm. It says, "In the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget, oh, I'm, I'm at the wrong address. I wrote down the wrong one, but I'm going to, we all know it. And I'm not going to turn there, I'm not, I'm not going to take the time, we're running out of time. It says, how good and how lovely it is for brethren to dwell together, even as the oil that ran down Aaron's beard, even as the dew descended on Mount Hermon. So it is that the Lord commands his blessing where there is unity. Something about unity is important. Jesus says, a house divided will not stand. When you go to build your house, young people, always build your house on unity. You know, we have diversity training. We got multicultural training. Most of that is just anti-Americanism training. And I am not a Norwegian American. I am an American. And I am not looking for a reason to be different I'm looking for a reason to be in unity with my brothers and sisters. Can I get an amen? And many things that the devil is trying to do with us today is cause uh, disunity. Let Let me read some scriptures. Jesus said, a house divided will not stand. We have got to understand that the enemy is trying to turn the races against each other. The enemy is trying to turn genders against each other. The enemy is trying to turn generations. You know, the parents' generation, the children's generation, is trying to turn generations against each other. How many of you have noticed that? How many of you notice that in churches there's a lot of church splits and a lot, a lot of younger generations. Well, we want contemporary music, and the old generation. Well, we want hymns, and well, now praise the God, we got something to fight about. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Can I get an amen? Wherever two or more are gathered together in my name agreeing is touching anything on earth, it'll be done on my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 18, 19. It takes unity to have prayer answered. First Peter, 3rd chapter, 17th verse. Men, dwell with your wives according to knowledge under the weaker vessel. And it says, and let... There not be any strife among you that your prayers be not hindered. Where there's disunity, God will not answer prayer. Of course the devil wants us all in disunity. He wants husbands and wives to be disunity. He wants parents and kids to be in disunity. Let me tell you something, young people. You want to build a successful house? Reject any kind of disunity and strife, no matter what the venue is that comes your way. Somebody say amen reject it it is a trick it is a scam and it is from the pit of hell now we aren't to be in unity with wickedness and evil no we're we're, we're not in unity with that but we're going to try to be in unity with everybody as much as we possibly can and except two walk together how can how, except two be agreed how can they walk together now if they say well we don't believe in jesus well you can't be in unity with those people but that doesn't mean you get into disunity with them. Can I get an amen? It doesn't mean that yet you come against them and that you cause all kinds of problems. It means you stay in unity. And God's unity is, number, is united by us having the same great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen? See, have it, first of all, you need to have unity with God. Say, number one is unity with God. Come into agreement with his Bible. Get on page, get on his program, get on his train, get on what he's doing, get involved. And God is about the business of winning souls. And when you love people and you win souls, you won't care what the color of their skin is. You won't care about the social economic of their standing is. You won't care about where their address is. We don't care what their level of education is. All we care about is that they are a soul and they need Jesus just like we did when we got saved. i tell you what, when you start winning souls, all that race and all that disunity and all that stuff will slowly go away. I thank God we've got an integrated church. Thank God for that. We need the other different uh, races, ethnicities, whatever you want to call it, and we need them and they need us and we need to be together in unity. Can I get an amen? That is so important that we don't ever, ever let that become a, a, a thing between us. When we get into unity, God can begin to bless, because that's where God releases his blessing, the Bible says. And in Matthew 19, 6, it says, Let no man put asunder. Don't let disunity get into your marriage. Number one thing, don't don't let it get into uh, your relationship with God. You know, when you get back to that, you're in disunity with God. Can I get an amen? Don't let disunity get into your marriage. You won't get your prayers answered, the Bible says. Don't get in disunity with your sister, your brother. You know, I remember a story one time that uh, there was one of the kids had a kid over and Liz and, and Nate and Sam were out playing in the yard. And this friend and this friend started like kind of picking on or saying some things about Sam. And they they kind of started alienating him and they also kind of started making fun. I tell you, I was so mad. I was ready to go out there and spank all of them, even this kid that wasn't mine. I said, what are you doing? Don't you ever speak and gang up against your own brother or sister? That's the most stupid thing you could possibly do, and I really rebuked him for that because I truly believe that as a family you need to always stay unified. As a couple, you need to always stay unified. Now, if your kid's a problem, you need to admit it. If somebody else is coming against, and and you need to take them out back and straighten them out, or whatever you do to get your kids straightened out. But we need to be in unity with our family. We need to be in unity with our siblings. Let me tell you something. The, the degree that you learn to be in unity with your brothers and sisters will carry over, and it will be the training for unity for you and your spouse. Let me tell you something. Siblings, if you can't learn to get along with your sister or your brother, you'll, you'll be a failure at getting along and having a happy marriage with your spouse one day because you will begin to start treating them just like you treat your brother and sister. This, let, all the, let all the infatuation wear off and the familiarity set in and you'll be talking to them the same way you were to your bratty little brother. And vice versa. Let me tell you something. It's a, parents, you want your kids to have good wh- marriages? Train them to get along with their brothers and sisters when they're little. If there's any strife in our house, have, uh, the whole pack got a whipping. Well, it's his fault. Well, you know what? It takes two to fight. It takes two to make a fuss, and you're both going to get... You know, it's amazing how our kids get along, and we hardly have any, have almost never had hardly any strife in our household. Thanks be to God. Because we didn't tolerate it. Not for one second. And everybody's going everybody's to pay for it if one does it. And you know what? The others will kind of talk to that other one and say, you need to, get it. You need to quit doing that. It's amazing how those dynamics will work. A lot of parents aren't smart enough to use it. But I'll tell you what, it's important that we do that. And especially, Oz, bring unity to your church. Don't be a splitter or a quitter. Quitters and splitters cause all kinds of trouble for their own selves. Let me tell you something, everybody that I've known in the 25 years of pastoring, virtually every person that I've ever seen that actively knew that they were doing it and did it anyway. Either were quitting or splitting, because a lot of times quitting will cause a splitting. And your splitting will cause others quitting. I'm playing on words here just to make you stay awake. But I have found virtually in every case, they end up having a divorce later on. Because you cannot sow the seed of splitting God's house without thinking you're going to reap the corruption of him allowing for your house to be split. If you split a church, guess what? If you split that house, you're probably gonna have your house split one day. Don't ever sow that wicked, evil seed of sowing discord among the brethren. Can I get an amen? Always do all you can, young people, when you get into a church to create unity in your kids, create unity in your marriage, Create unity in your church. Create unity in your community and your culture. And be one who is a peacemaker because the peacemakers will inherit the earth, the Bible says. Somebody say amen. Always be a peacemaker and build your house on peace. Not everybody being an individual, but us being a family. Let me tell you something. A child can become very selfish, but so can an adult. An adult in church can be selfish just like a child can in a family. And we've got to think about the whole, not ourselves. We're here to serve one another. And when we do that, all selfishness seems to go away. Can I get an amen? See in the front of the in front of the satanic Bible, it says, "Doest thou will? For that is the whole of the law." It doesn't say go, you know, have a, 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 a satanic sacrifice. Don't go sacrifice a baby or, or all these wicked, horrible things that we think. Oh, the satanic church and and the black masses and and all the wicked stuff. And oh, the satanic Bible. The satanic Bible says on the front, "Just do as thou will." be a selfish person. Do as thou will. That is the whole of the perverting of God's law. That is the whole of Satan's law, is do as you will, because baby, it's all about you. That's our culture today, and it's utterly sickening. You know what Jesus says, lay down your life and serve everybody around you. How many of you notice that's a little bit different than the satanic Bible? And we need to wake up. We need to be servants we need to have unity we need to not be a house divided number four build your house on the rock of doing god's word jesus has a parable over there in matthew 7 24 through 29 he says there were two men and one built his house on the sand and when the storm came it washed it all away another man built his house on the rock and when the storms of life came it couldn't wash his house away and the rock was being a doer of God's word, not just a hearer. Oh, everybody can hear. A- anybody will turn on TBN and listen to Christian stuff. Anybody will come to church and sit in a pew and listen. That's nothing. Let me tell you something that distinguishes you as a real Christian is when you begin to do God's word. And see, this is an age-old problem that goes way back. And it says in, Ma- in James, it says, And be doers of the word, not hearers only. Everybody say, I'm not just a hearer. I'm going to be a doer and be doers of the word not hearers only deceiving your own selves. We deceive ourselves when we only hear it because there's something about hearing it makes us feel hmm I went to church I'm real spiritual. I'm I'm one of the good folk because I go to church. Let me tell you something it isn't about going to church. It isn't about hearing the Bible. It isn't even about reading the Bible. It's about doing it. You know, I don't come here just to speak it because I got better things to do than stand up here and talk and have people listen to me. I come here because I want you to begin to do it and live it and have your life changed and transformed by it. Ezekiel 33, it says this, that even back in the Old Testament, they had this problem. And look what it says, how people would view the word. And it says, and also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee. And, of course, they're talking against the preacher because this is Ezekiel. Against thee by the walls and in the doors of their houses. And speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, come, I pray you. And hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. In other words, they were, they were all talking, said, yeah, yeah, come hear this guy. Come hear what the word of the Lord is. Yeah, let's go listen to him. Yeah. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear the words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song. Oh, the preacher had a nice one today. Isn't that special? Come on. Let's not be knuckleheads. It isn't, oh, the message was like, no, the message is for you to do it. I don't even want it to be nice. I want it to prick your heart so you'll do it. He said, well, you don't have to worry about that, Pastor Bill. It isn't nice this morning. You know, it's all right if I just give you a little bit of a hard time, isn't it? That's what I'm supposed to do is get us... See, because when I do that, I wake my own self up spiritually. And every finger that's pointing towards you, there's four pointing back at me. That I'm just as guilty on a lot of this stuff. But look what it says. Thou Unto them as a very lovely song, as one that hath pleasant voice, and can play well on the instruments, for they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. You see, it's a lot harder to do what the Bible says than to sit there and listen to it and give mental assent. It's a lot harder to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a lot harder to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's a lot harder to serve in church and pay the tithe and come to be a servant to other people. How many of you know that's a lot harder to do than it is to talk about? But we need to do that. Build your house on being a doer of the word, young people. Build your house on being a doer of the word. And last, a house of prayer. I believe this. That, uh, oh, let me say one other thing. Adam and Eve, how many of you know they heard the word, but they didn't do it? How many of you know what the word was? Adam was told by God, do not eat of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Do not do that. This is the word to you, Adam. This is the word of the Lord. Don't eat of the tree. And you know, before, when it was all said and done, he heard the word, but he never did it. His wife talked him into eating. The devil talked her into eating. She was deceived and he disobeyed. They both did wrong. But they didn't do the word, did they? And you know what? They lost their house. How many of you know they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden? Because they built their house on something other than doing the word. They got kicked out of their house that God built for them. God built the greatest sanctuary, the greatest home, the greatest wonderful garden, the greatest paradise, the greatest place where all the gold and all the silver was and all the water and all the resources and all the plants and all the soil and all the sunshine and all the beauty and all the greatness and the precious gems and everything was all there. Read it. It's in Genesis 1 and 2. He built it all, all the beautiful plants and animals, everything. And then he put Adam and Eve and says, This is your world. I give it to you. This is your house. Now live there. But one thing... Do my word. Don't eat that tree, of that tree. One thing, just do my word. Build your house on doing my word. And they didn't do it, and they lost their house. They got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, the Bible says. You'll lose your house if you don't build it on being a doer of the word. You'll lose your house, and will be like him who built on the sand, and it washed away when the storm came. Build your house on the rock of doing his word. Amen? And then the last one, the house of Mary. In Matthew twenty-one thirteen, God's house is to be a house of prayer. Your house needs to be a house of prayer. We get up every morning and we study the Bible at our house. We pray at our house. We build our house on the Word of God. We build our house on prayer. We build our house on putting God's house first. We've built our house and not tolerating dissension, but building it on unity. We've built our house on trying to work hard, teach our children to work hard. We've built our house. On the things of God's word. Because we believe except the Lord builds a house. They don't ever do so in prayer. Let me tell you something. Our house, we pray every morning. In Acts 2, Herod got James and he killed him. And he says, ah, the people like it. Herod was the guy who was working under Rome and overseeing the Jews. He says, ah, I see they all like it. Now let's go ahead and get James. Let's kill him too. Or Peter. And then it says, but there was prayer made continuously for Peter. And at the house of Mary, there's a bunch of people praying. And they threw Peter in jail. And the angel came in the night, opened the doors, let him out, set him free, took him to Mary's house where there were people praying. Let me tell you something. James was put to death by Herod because there was no prayer. Peter's life was saved because there was a house of prayer. tell you something. Lives will be saved physically and spiritually. Because you build your life on a house of prayer. Jesus said, when he turned over the tables and he ran out the money changer. he says, my house is to be a house of prayer, not a house of merchandise. That was somebody's amen, I guess. In other words, it's time to quit, Pastor Bill. We've had times where we'd get up and pray supernaturally, Samara Lang, our niece, was saved supernaturally when we prayed. We coordinated the time. God had us praying for an entire hour. When she went off a bridge and threw 30 feet in the air and plunged into a river filled with ice. You can't drive a car off a bridge and fall 30 feet and go into a river and plunge through the ice and get up and walk out and only have a little scratch on your ankle. But she did, and we were praying the whole time because God prompted us to pray. You need to be ready in season now. Amen. Now let me give you these five one more time. Everybody say it with me. Young people, say it with me. I'll build my house on a work ethic. I will build my house on putting God's house first. I will build my house on being a house united. And I will build my house on being a doer of the word. And I will build my house on prayer. Those five things are keys to being a successful family. When you leave your parents' house, I don't care if it's a dorm room, I don't care if it's an apartment, I don't care if you're building yourself a new house. It's more than a physical structure, it's your spiritual life, it's your family, it's your finances. It's the way that you do things. It's your priorities. It's your relationship with others. You need to build your house according to what the Bible says because except the Lord build the house, your house will be built in vain. Let's stand, and we'll be dismissed this morning.